Welcome to Screen Quest, a podcast where a fellowship of film lovers and armchair movie experts plays film roulette. I'm one of your hosts, Chris Waterman, joined by my fellow party members, Mae Finch. Hi, everyone. And Will Rotondi. Hey, hey. It is, of course, a regular episode again this week. We will be talking about Gone with the Wind, the 1939 classic starring, uh, oh my God, my brain just completely blanked out, Vivian Lee and <laughs> Clark Gable. Wow. Uh, can you tell it's Sunday? And of course, we'll be drawing a side quest. But first, I wanted to chat with you all about the new Super Mario Brothers trailer, which uh, just dropped this week. Got a much better idea of, I think, tonally what the film will be like. And we got to hear a lot of voices that we didn't in the last trailer. So what did you think of the trailer? It's going to be a day one watch for you. Start with May. I'll watch it when it comes to streaming. (laughs) Uh, It looks cute. It just, but this trailer does seem pretty clear that they're kind of making like a Marvel style superhero movie out out of it. And like that has me slightly less excited um but it does it does look cute and i did like the scene um i mean i just like i like seeing in 3d like familiar platforms from the games like the bridge with the fish jumping over it that was great um but yeah we'll see we'll see i um i'll see what my friends say when it comes out (laughs) but i will probably wait for streaming what about you all report back (laughs) (laughs) you're gonna have to tell me too chris i um so don't get me wrong like i am looking forward to it i'm not nearly as like up in arms as i know some people are about some of the voice casting um but i do think it um i think it'll be entertaining if nothing else i think most animated films at least have some sort of charm to them and i feel like mario probably will um so i at least i hope that it will so generally speaking, uh, yeah, streaming for me too, but still excited just to see what they want to come up with. So. Yeah, I, I'm very excited about this. I've been a Mario kid since I was probably four, like back in the NES days. So oh yeah, uh, old school. Um, I I think like just it's all the little details. Um, so yeah, it, it does feel a little Marvel y. I don't know, you know, if they're gonna go like the Smash Brothers like route or something like that, where they're gonna pull in characters from other universes in the future. But I just I love the attention to detail. The Mario Kart sequence in the trailer mm-hmm. is just mm-hmm. phenomenal. Um, and <laughs> I do I I think most of the voice casting is um is great. Like even before I've seen a lot. Like so, Jack Black as Bowser is just like that's inspired that's the casting. Best one. Charlie Day is Luigi, also a uh, really good choice in my opinion um i'm still not 100 percent sold one way or the other on on chris pratt um not the biggest chris pratt fan if i'm being honest like uh but i uh, hope he does well um but i do think like the visually um and like tonally they they nailed it so maybe the lesson here is that uh you should do animated um adaptations of video games and that's where you'll be successful although we did get another trailer, which I did not have you guys watch for The Last of Us, which debuts next month on HBO Max. And uh, I'm incredibly excited about that. I'm stoked. Yeah. That is my favorite video game story of all time. And oh. I think if you can't nail it with that one, like maybe it's just not in the cards for video game adaptations, but it's probably the most cinematic um, video game uh, ever, you know, in terms of story. So um, have you played, Ooh. you've played Last of Us, Will? I have. 
I'd actually argue Horizon Zero Dawn, baby. But yeah, Last of Us is by far, I mean, it's a great game and it's got an amazing story and a lot of heart behind it. And I am excited to see how it's going to be. Like some of the, the actors that they got for those characters, I am so stoked to see how it's going to translate to a series on HBO. And I feel like HBO is going to do it well. Some people might just try to do it for the cash grab, but they tend to do pretty well with the, at least the, for the most part. Yeah, I know it's arguable on that too, but I feel like for the most part, they go for stuff that has good content. You think it's something that'll like make sense to someone who hasn't played the game or should I quickly play through the game? It comes nah, it's, an adapta- it's an adaptation and it looks very faithful. I think mm-hmm. that because Marianne asked me the same question, I think that you would be just fine, like watching mm-hmm. the the show. Like it seems to kind of follow beat for beat, cool. from what I can tell. Um, very excited because uh, they had um the original composer. Like the music is just so fabulous. Oh, um, yeah. I I I think he's Spanish. Like, um, although he may be from a different Latin country, but I feel like he is Spanish. There's a lot of Spanish, like guitar and just it's very melancholy so they brought him for the show which i think was like a very smart choice and then also neil Druckmann from the the game the director of the game was heavily involved in the show and directed a couple episodes as well so again good fighting chance to to be a solid thing but i agree with you on the casting like i think pedro pascal is joe or joel excuse me is like it's a great choice and um i'm looking forward to crying my eyes out probably at least like 50 percent of the time if it's anything like the game so that's what I'm saying. Like some of those surprises, man. Like if it's if it's that, I would almost argue, may like don't play the game beforehand. Like watch the series first, because I mean, if it's if it's pretty much mirroring how the story goes in the game, it's there'll be a couple of moments that like really surprised me. I think surprised everybody, truthfully. So I won't spoil myself then. Don't do it. Yeah, I, I don't know I, if there's yeah. anything about a dog, but anything else, don't. <laughs> So looking forward to those for very different reasons. Um, I urge you to uh, to maybe watch the um, the trailer for The Last of Us if uh, that sounds interesting. But um, yeah, let's have us a, a side quest here, shall we? Yes, please. I am shuffling away, and here we go. Ooh, it's I'm sorry. You have to you have to say it like Mario. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a shuffling. <laughs> oh man. Um so it's a neuralizer. This is where we're going to erase the movie from our our brain and experience it for the first time. Um for me, uh it's a very easy pick. Uh it is the usual suspects, which is mm. I know a little complicated uh, now. Um, I feel like anything with Kevin Spacey is a little bit tougher to watch than it used to be, unfortunately. But that being said, uh, I think this has maybe one of the greatest film twists like of all time. And subsequent viewings are really only enjoyable to either see somebody else experience it for the first time and put it all together or like to maybe look for clues and things like that but it's been picked apart so i I think that's a very easy choice for me and i don't want to spoil the twist because it's it deserves this movie deserves to be experienced like just blind but um it's significant and it's one of those ones that like you immediately want to start it back up because you're like oh man like how obvious was this like the whole time um who who has seen this uh raise your hand if you have on the pod well, you've seen it? Okay. <laughs> it's like, it's, you have to hold it. it's like it flips. Yeah, sorry. 
Uh, Would sorry, you agree? Scarlett, I'm gonna put my hand up in front of your face here for a second. Um, but yeah, yes, I have. Um, I yeah, I liked it too. It was a lot of fun. It's fun because of the characters in it too. Like not just the like the actors who play them, the characters that they are, and just sort of like trying to piece together this whodunit about what had happened. And yeah, it's it's just fun, uh, in my opinion, to watch it just for that. So great cast we got oh, in addition to kevin spacey there's gabriel byrne uh stephen baldwin i believe um benicio del toro uh kevin pollack and am i missing anybody else i'm sure i am somewhere but that those are the big principles i remember good supporting cast too i forget the guy that plays agent coolion that does like the interrogating but the structure of the oh, film may yeah. is that uh they bring kevin spacey into a police station and uh something is going where he should be <laughs> yeah, yeah he's right there right at home <laughs> noise and, uh he is being interrogated about something that went terribly wrong the night before there's an explosion on a ship and uh, a lot of dead bodies and he starts to spin a yarn about um how this sort of heist came together and wh- where it all went wrong and um that's 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 kind of the the setup and uh the lineup scene is a very famous uh, where they're all like in the lineup in the police station and they're just goofing off and apparently a lot of that was improvised and sort of just like the actors having having a good time and they kept it in so highly recommend that uh if you like suspense thrillers um give it a shot I'll add it to my list. yay all right. Well, since Will's uh, pick was uh, this week, and again, that's Gone with the Wind from 1939, I'm going to turn it over to him to guide us through the discussion. So take it away, oh, Will. Oh, man. Yep, here we go, baby. Uh, Gone with the Wind. It's one of those films that I had always sort of thought in the back burner, like, I need to watch this. Kind of like Godfather. Like, it's, it's built up as this classic that if you love film or if you love cinema and you want to, you want to, like, watch some of the big ones throughout history it was like this had to be a classic to add to it and i just never got around to it um and so it was nice to have this as an excuse to to throw it out there and to uh to see what i thought and it was definitely an interesting ride um but i will say just to kind of recap what the film is about uh it's the story of scarlett o'hara played by vivian lee who is the daughter of a georgia plantation owner who deals with the effects of the civil war so around the 1800s, like 1861 to 65, um, and then the Reconstruction era after that, from 65 to 77. And um, I think when the novel starts, like the book that it's based, the film's based on, I think Scarlett's supposed to be around 16 years old um, when we were first introduced to her. And we were kind of made aware that she is uh, infatuated with this guy, uh, Ashley Wilkes, um who's played by i want to say it is oh please hold see now i'm forgetting names is that leslie howard i think yes um and so ashley is going to marry melanie uh hamilton played by olivia da oh, gosh i am so the sorry ha- i'm gonna be tripping over names the haviland <laughs> yeah <laughs> butchering everyone's name as we go um in, in keeping olivia de haviland um who is probably the nicest character in this entire film uh but from there we see that scarlet who was interested in ashley just sort of starts to marry other men out of spite 
uh, in order to kind of like sort of get back at other people. She's just like, I can't have what I want. So I'm just going to do stuff to like mess with other people's lives. So she ends up marrying two other guys. Um, one who dies during the Civil War, another one who dies in a conflict after that, um, before she uh, eventually marries uh, Rhett Butler, who is played by Clark Gable, who is like, if you hear of Gone with the Wind, he's the other guy that you always hear about, um, who is this sort of Han Solo character, I'll, I'll put it that way, just because having seen Star Wars before this, that I'm like, this is where they must have gotten this character from. This feels like that archetype of this sort of schmoozy, flirty, but also nagging uh, guy who just likes to go around and have a good time. He's not really affiliated with anybody. Um, he'll do whatever seems like the right thing to do for his own self-interest at the time, which kind of mirrors Scarlet and what she tries to do. Uh, so they're kind of in some ways just very much they're so similar that when they try to get together obviously it's more of a train wreck than anything else um because they start out they get married seems like things are going to go well and then it's just like the most toxic relationship i have ever seen in film maybe on par with like citizen kane you know where it's just nothing is going well there's just tragedy that happens after that um becoming rich doesn't do enough for them it's more just like the petty issues that come up their child dies from falling off a horse and then just a whole lot of like created drama between them just add, because that is just who they are and yeah and then it ends where with the classic line where after an argument uh Rhett Butler's like I'm out and I don't give a damn what you do with your life Scarlet and he just disappears into the mist and we also just sort of get like this feeling like okay so now Scarlet's unhappy again and how is this going to turn around and then it's like the film ends on this very surprising like uplifting feeling of like sort of reiterated throughout the course of the narrative which is that you know whatever happens to you as long as you've got land as long as you've got your home and the land that you grew up on then that's all that really matters right <laughs> and she gets really excited by that idea of of staying at home at Terra in Georgia and and yeah and that's that's she seems very excited about that. And she thinks even to the extent of thinking I'll just I'll go back home and then I'll figure out how I can get red back. And I'm like, what a way to end this film, man. Like, she is clearly very excited. And it's like this uplifting feeling, not just in her expression, but like the music is rising. And it's this whole idea about, I guess, this this love of the land that uh, was very much uh, the popular view, I guess, for for the novel, perhaps. And I apologize, I haven't read the novel. Um, I, I probably need to to give it justice. But for the idea of what this film represented. So that's that's pretty much for me where we ended up. But I will be very interested to hear your thoughts about general impressions. Uh, Chris, I know you said you'd seen this before. So May, I got to turn it over to you first. I want to I want to get your feedback, see what you thought after watching this for the first time. Um, Yeah, I did, didn't like it. Uh, <laughs> lots of things I didn't like about it. I do think Scarlett's an interesting character. In that she is in some ways painted as kind of a femme fatale, but also as like being horribly naive when it comes to romance. Um, and that's kind of an interesting archetype I, I, I don't think is like too often repeated. Um, but she's also insufferable as a result. 
<laughs> yeah, it's true. It's like watching film noir almost in some respects, which is like the expressions that she has and kind of the conniving behavior that she's got. Yeah, that's pretty good. I like that. Yeah, so that was interesting. Um, I agree with what you said about uh, her relationship with Red just being like in- insanely toxic. And it, it reminds me of a lot of the, like more modern shows you see of just kind of like um, shows like You're the Worst, where it's just like really focusing on a cast of all like terrible people and just like what they're doing to each other. This feels a lot like that, mm-hmm. <laughs> with the exception of, uh, I guess it was Melly, uh, who is like the, or Melanie, who's the one saintly character. Gosh, man. Yeah. Talk about like always being the voice of reason for the most part, like with everything and just always looking for the good in people. Yeah. I think she's incredibly tolerant. (laughs) Right. I think she's like supposed to be like the moral compass of the film, I guess. Mm -hmm. I don't know. But yeah, it was long. Didn't love it. Um, We were talking off uh, mic about uh, on HBO. There's like a nice little kind of preface to the movie that contextualizes it with things like, like this some very racist depictions of um enslaved people and servants uh in the movie and uh the um actors and actresses that played them weren't like allowed to sit in like the same awards tables and stuff like that because of racism and other important context uh which yeah just added to the discomfort of the film for me yeah understandable and important shout out to it was Hattie McDa- uh, McDaniel, right? Who was um, who played? Was it Mammy? Was the mm-hmm. name of the? And she was man, she was awesome. What right? a like, what a great actor! And yeah, to have her not be allowed to sit at their table. Um, if you read more about like when they were, I guess because it was at the awards or was it after the awards? She, she was not permitted to attend the premiere. Um, and it was pleased to see that Clark Gable was not going to attend the premiere either in protest mm-hmm. and was then convinced by her to do it. Like she was like, no, you should go. But he was going to end a show of solidarity, not go to the premiere, which was in Georgia. Um, but yes, at the award show, she was attended to permit, but was stuffed in a corner, basically a uh, table um, along with her agent who was uh, a white man. But yep. So yeah, definitely uh, interesting in terms of, of how things were back then in turn well i guess both for the novel and what was excluded from the film which we can talk about because there is a lot more like um not just derogatory language that got excluded from gone with the wind as a film versus the novel (laughs) but also sort of sidestepping the kkk that features in the book and i think probably just a lot of other things that hollywood at the time was trying to Eh, I don't know it's weird because you watch the film and it feels like it's trying to idolize the South in a lot of ways still and so it's sort of like trying to appease people that I guess liked the book without completely alienating everybody but at the same time there's still it I mean it was by far no means perfect and by today's standards there's so much that is glaringly wrong that you watch in that film um but yeah that's a good point. And I'm glad that HBO added in the like the the little introduction to it, because I think that is important to acknowledge that this is a, a piece of history um, in terms of its entertainment value at the time, but also the reasons why it was the way it was when it came out. High school and I had a, a girl over, so I'm not really sure how much of this like I really paid attention to, if I'm being honest. <laughs> 
nice. like a lot of this was like kind of like seeing it for the first time. It could also be because, you know, that would have been like probably 20 years ago. So I don't know, maybe, maybe not. But that being said, um, I, you know, there's a lot to grapple with with this movie. I think in a lot of ways, uh, this film is extraordinary. It's got amazing use of color, like really early use of color. Um, you know, to, to we're a couple of years before the Casablanca or Citizen Kane and um, it, the scope of the film, the sets, um, some of the location shooting, uh, costume design, all that stuff is fabulous. And and I think in a lot of ways, um, many of the characters are more complex than I would have probably thought for a film that came out this early. Um, the structure of the film, particularly the ending, seems very anti-Hollywood in a lot of ways as well to me. But it is hard to overlook, you know, some of the things that happen around the production and, you know, subsequent release and some of the things that are depicted. And I don't think those things should be overlooked. So it's a movie that I am really, really fascinated by. And I'm glad that it exists for people to um, kind of watch and talk about. But I think probably if I had to guess, um, I think that like subsequently this film, like as time goes on, is going to be more of an interesting conversation piece around how things have evolved. Right. Like within the Hollywood studio system and, you know, not necessarily a cautionary tale, but like kind of a bit of an embarrassing look back at like what Hollywood practices um, used to be. So um I don't think those things should be overlooked um, or ignored, um, but they, they they certainly make it a more interesting um, conversation that like, you know, where you can't just sort of go, well, like I'm going to like, you know, focus on just solely on the characters in the plot. I think those two things are so married to one another um, that uh, I don't know. I found myself very conflicted because I, I think that in a lot, a lot of ways, it is a very brilliant, piece of filmmaking but um there was a lot of things that uh just made me kind of grip my teeth a little bit and wince a little bit um so i feel very conflicted i don't know does that does that make sense hopefully i'm, I'm making sense but i, I can relate conflicted. yeah yeah definitely yeah don't worry um, man i think yeah oh, go ahead. The, you were gonna the performances are brilliant too in the movie i think like almost all around it's like and I was sad to hear that uh, Leslie Howard like died tragically, like in a uh, his plane was shot down while he was promoting the British war effort in World War II, mm. like pretty shortly after this. It just like reading the whole thing was like a very tragic thing. So um, it's one of those things that made me sad when I was watching it too, because I was like, why didn't I ever see this guy again? He's awesome as you know Ashley Wilkes in a lot of ways, and I was like, oh well, that sucks. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that's pretty much in a nutshell how I felt about it. Just very conflicted. Um, I, I see the significance, certainly, and like why it's endured. But uh, yeah, there you are. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually trying to find out. So for me, going into this the first time blind, like, or I guess not necessarily blind, but clearly very naive myself about what this film was about. Um, I came out of it wondering, like, are there people that for the people that do like this, like liked the book because it sold like millions of copies when oh, it yeah. came out and people were ecstatic when this film was made and people talk about like, oh, Gone with the Wind, this epic love story. And I'm like, OK, so it's a love story during the Civil War. Gotcha. OK. 
And then I watched it and just based on the films that we've watched together, I was like, so this is like all about Eve meets like Han Solo. This is very strange to me. Like, this is not what I expected. And my wife and I watched it together. And I love how like, like before we recorded this, when we were all sort of watching it on our own, that Chris made some comment about, you know, when he's watching it with his wife and I'm watching it with mine. And (laughs) we're all having like the same, or at least his wife, myself, my wife are all having like the same reaction to this film like what is going on and holy shit scarlet you are so manipulative (laughs) (laughs) so on the one hand it was entertaining for that alone like just the reaction of not knowing what you're getting into and you're just like this is a train wreck but i am fascinated to see how this train wreck is going to finish um and that's just sort of the that was how i felt through most of it i will say that for something that is as long as it is because it's pushing it's close to like four hours i think Mm -hmm. depending on which version you watch with or without the intermission and the musical interlude and all that that um if for being that long, I mean, in some places it can drag, but there's usually always something going on. Like it's not very, there's not very long takes or very like uh, moments where there's not dialogue unless the music is swelling and there's like a big panning shot, you know? So something is still, there's always something to the plot that's going, but I agree that depending on how you feel about the subject matter and depending on how you feel about the characters, you may find it to be a fascinating train wreck or you may just find it to be like, poking a needle in your eye like watching some of this stuff going on so um but yeah i will say though the cinematography for me i loved it um i think visually like i love all the cool special effects from back in the day like the matte paintings to try and and give like depth and to do design work for things you couldn't do uh you know you couldn't obviously film because it didn't exist or it was just too expensive to build a set that large um, or like when the town is burning or the city's burning and everyone is trying to get out and there's all these flames in the background and just the design work there. And it's very beautiful and harrowing and almost surreal in some ways um, with all the coloration that they do. And so that to me, I thought was the coolest aspect of going back and watching this. And more to the point, like what Chris, you were saying about how this came out before, like some other classics like uh, Citizen Kane and like Casablanca, where it was still black and white. And and so, yeah, just the the money that was pumped into the film around that day, which was like, what, five, six million, which by today's standards is like 66 million or something, I think I read. So it's like was was like this massive budget and was in production for so long trying to find you know the right actors they wanted or at least for the the part of um uh for scarlet's character and yeah so there's just it was it's amazing almost in itself just how massive it was back when you had to get so many extras and so many practical effects to use and yet at the same time also a great way to have conversations about social issues um so yeah i think actually with that in mind it's kind of a nice little segue into the first question i'd like to ask you guys about but are there any other thoughts uh that came up things you'd like to add before we do just worth noting that david oselznik was like a notorious control freak i think he fired two directors mm-hmm. prior to the one that got screen credit for this um and if you kind of you know from like an academic perspective and like uh, i guess biographical if you if you go back and kind of read a lot of primary accounts for all intents and purposes this is his movie <laughs> like you know i mean he he was on set like daily 
um, and had just a large hand in everything. I think that's a very interesting, there's not a lot of producers like that are that involved. And he's one of the more interesting mm-hmm. personalities in Hollywood history, famously courted and uh, convinced Alfred Hitchcock to come to the United States, uh, much to Hitchcock's eventual, like just um, resentment because he uh, locked him into a four picture deal and kind of loaned him out to other studios to get around the you know, the contract and things like that. But uh, I urge you, if you're interested in old Hollywood history, David O. Selznick's one of the most interesting people, not always the most pleasant, but um, had a very large hand and what you think of as sort of classic Hollywood. But, but now that's the only thing I wanted to add. I think it's a interesting little sidebar of just the production history, you know, and just how many directors and things they went through to really get this thing made, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, on that, on that note of, of questionable uh, tactics on how to get, <laughs> what you want out of film let's talk about questionable characters so i think that and i apologize i'm gonna hear you might hear some background noise here for just a second uh there's an airplane flying overhead but uh okay i think we're good now (laughs) so i guess it's worth like talking about the main characters in the film right so talking about scarlet talking about red and just the idea just the well the toxic relationship like i'd i'd like to hear a little bit more sort of things that stood out to you in terms of whether we're talking like social behavior or sexual relationships that are sort of subtly or not so subtly hinted at in the film about what happens uh equality politics war just anything that sort of stood out to you in terms of just like the the really weird relationship that scarlet and Rhett seem to have throughout the film um they're the two that i thought of the most when i was thinking about just what to talk about but if there are other characters that you think are better to sort of discuss things that that stood out to you i am absolutely down to hear about it too um but chris i'll turn it back over to you first if there's if if it's scarlet and Rhett, or if there's any other uh, uh relationships that seem to be of particular interest to you yeah so um <clears throat> actually throughout most of the film um kind of enjoyed some of their banter and up until one very specific scene really liked Rhett as a character um then something happens like kind of late in the film that were just like I was completely stunned by but I'm sure we'll talk about that um but um yeah he's kind of like a call it like you see it and seems to balk at the idea of like war in terms of like the you know the the real human cost and that kind of stuff um so i found him to be very interesting in that that way and then contrasted with scarlet for most of the film where she's um very selfish and self-centered and comes very close i thought maybe she was going to get a redemption arc like during the the re uh construction that where she's like working the farm and holding stuff together i was like oh okay so this is going to be like her trajectory towards redemption right like now <laughs> that's not what happens at all um so then when the two of them are finally together um i don't know man i i found the relationship to be frustrating which i suppose is kind of the point for a lot of it uh toxic's definitely a great word to, to use for a number of reasons um and i think i was probably most surprised by the tragic element of it not and by like tragic i don't mean like the relationship failing but sort of the cost of like like you know the loss of 
uh, both an unborn child and then you know the child that um you know dies in the uh the accident with the the horse and um sort of wondering like hey had that child in Rhett stayed in london would there but just more happiness all around you know he seems to be a pretty happy like doting father that kind of surprised me too um seemed like an interesting like for the time like gender role reversal a little bit like you know you always hear about like the absentee father and and that kind of stuff so all that stuff i found very surprising um despite doing some really horrible shit i was kind of with him when he bounces at the end i was like i think this is the best for all involved like you gotta just you gotta call it um I found it incredibly frustrating that she has this 11th hour revelation that like I this whole entire movie in my whole life, I didn't actually love Ashley. I I loved Rhett. And that's oh, like that's I, I don't feel like that moment or at least that revelation for her was earned, in my opinion, where it was like this is not you've not been building to this like that I can see. But um, I was 100 percent on his side when he left, even if uh He's not by all means like a perfect or necessarily like a little character at that point. But yeah, that's that's my take. Um, I I I really hope so. Something Marianne asked me is she's like, did people view this as like the ideal romance? Like when this movie came out, and I was like, it's always been touted as that. In fact, the scene, I might as well kind of touch on it, where he's carrying up this. I always saw that clip. And I, I thought it was like, oh, he's sweeping her off her feet. It's like, no, he's he's gonna go rape her. Like that's that's what that's all yeah. about. And and it, I found it quite shocking. I was like, oh, fuck, this is not at all the context of this scene that I thought it was gonna be. But I digress. Um, so like everything with this movie, very complicated. <laughs> I had a lot of mixed feelings. So I'll leave it there. Um, I'll I'll jump off from there for for my take. Uh, I think part of the reason they're relationship is confusing in a lot of ways at least to a modern audience is there was more of a like need for a woman in a relationship to like say no and like deny pleasure and like that kind of thing like in Mm -hmm. that time period which is the only excuse I can make for the fact that that was viewed as like romantic um I think that they are both terrible people and I think that's kind of why again people can kind of rationalize their relationship. I, I don't know. I come down harder on Rhett than on, on Scarlett because at least Rhett always knows Scarlett's deal. Like he he goes in knowing that she's in love with another man. Um, whereas with Rhett, he like leaves her in the worst situations. For instance, when she's in that carriage with a dying pregnant lady, a baby, and her servant <laughs> and he just suddenly joined like... the army <laughs> <laughs> like what the hell <laughs> you could you couldn't have like gotten them safely home first <laughs> which like took a day right like that wasn't a huge delay took a day and the horse died yeah yep. yeah oh that yeah. scene was wild smack <laughs> whoop the horse is dead <laughs> Like what? I guess you anyway. have food now. But yeah, jeez. <laughs> like, um, damn, dude. So yeah, I I started hating Rhett after that scene. Also, just because of like the weird moment where he's like forcing himself on her before she goes and trying to say all this like cliche romantic stuff, and she's like, "Just get off of me! I'm mad at you for leaving us and abandoning us in this moment." And he's trying to make it like a romantic thing, and it's just it's weird. I don't like it. Um. So yeah, I hated Rhett from there, and I think Scarlett's just a mess and very selfish 
And um, I do think her 11th hour kind of realization is a defense mechanism because her part of the reason I think she kept that that uh you know candle burning for so long for Ashley was because he never said that he was like absolutely not interested in her he kind of let her along the whole time mm-hmm. so it wasn't until that moment that he was like no I loved my wife not you so as bonkers as it sounds I do think it took her him actually like explicitly saying that for her to realize it and get it which is embarrassing for her so then she has to be like oh well I never really loved him either <laughs> I do love the zinger of it's always nice when you have the first wife's permission. Like (laughs) (laughs) anyway. (laughs) Oh god. Yep. Oh man. But yes, I don't think it's actually a realization on her part. I just think she's saving face after finally having the that candle snuffed out. Yeah, I I think for me watching it, it was the hard part of like because I think at first you were supposed to like Rhett. He seems to be the one guy who has i mean he's he's joking and and well spirited and kind of says probably what a lot of people would have thought like don't go to war it's just going to be a problem and then he just yeah progressively becomes more of an asshole (laughs) or at least is revealed to be more of one throughout the film and seems kind of like the most inconsistent character wise Mm-hmm. He does have those weird cheesy lines occasionally after being a very like bitter, witty person for most of the film. And so like those rare scenes where he is like just spouting off all this romantic gibberish, it's like very strange. Yeah, I don't trust him. Like he he's very contradictory. On the one yeah. hand, he'll he'll say one thing like, oh, you know, I'm not a marrying man. And then by the end, he wants to marry her. So it's like he doesn't say what he really means about certain things and then you can't really trust him when he when he says stuff about you know others like i don't know he seems very inconsistent like you said and then he also seems to be very contradictory later like oh he didn't want to fight before but now he wants to go fight just randomly i'm gonna go join the army and also good luck scarlet you know it's been it's been fun and one day you'll love me and we'll get together you know and so it's like for all of his supposed like you know his image of this self-assuredness and this jovial nature like he's also like very just possessive and very controlling in his own way where he just thinks that things will just go his way and if it's not going his way he's just going to go someplace else to get what he wants so you know and i like i don't know i feel like that sort of built up to where he is very physically abusive to scarlet later although i I would say scarlet is not to the same extent that red is but she is also very abusive to other characters in in terms of just slapping them when she wants to but that's that's the only thing that i'll say about her and Um, and, uh verbal abuse especially with uh i think it was prissy um oh yeah constantly threatening to like beat her or send send her south which is a terrible euphemism yeah and like and that is true i'm glad you brought that up and i apologize for getting about mentioning that like just like grabbing her wrist and yanking her around up the staircase yeah when she was mad that she wouldn't find a doctor um for melanie who was attempting to uh not die while having a baby (laughs) so um yeah that and I think that was mostly it. I didn't trust Rhett because he seemed like he was a, a nice face when you when there was something he could get out of it. And he even admits that, too. He doesn't give anything without expecting something in return. And I thought, I believe you in that. I believe that is your your tell in that. 
Uh, whereas I don't think Scarlett ever, really, I think for Scarlett, she just was never happy with what she had. She always wanted what she couldn't have. And so that was sort of the drive for her to continue to want Ashley. Um, you, you know, you see the, the disrepair of everything after the war. And so she wants to go back to what she used to have, which was her home and everything that's driven towards making enough money to go back and revitalize Tara and, and so yeah i think she just always she was never really happy which which she thought would make her happy never made her happy for the long term and then she always wanted something that she couldn't have what a rough way to go i was actually uh, just unrelated but sort of off of that too i was really surprised by some of the stuff that was included in this film that you know i know that it was it was known for its like use of the word damn when uh clark gable gives that line about frankly i don't give a damn um, at the end of the film that being like a big deal to use that word uh with the Hayes code and but I was surprised with some of the other stuff that shows up in this film like a dude like a union soldier gets shot in the face you've got you know the very strongly implied rape scene you've got followed very strangely by Scarlett's character who seems happy after the fact so that it was like a whole something else to unpack from that yeah but. that I think that's probably why it got on screen is because they did that to make it seem okay yeah gloss over the fact that that was not consensual yeah um death of and, a child is pretty um rare yeah. to see too at a film like to um, see it on screen time. yeah yeah to see her fly off the horse and like get hit on the on the jump and yeah that was crazy so I, I think for some of that and even some of the war wounds I mean not graphic to some degree but implying that some dude's gonna get his leg cut off and just the whole scene like they pan out in that big scene where all those soldiers are laid out in the field I th or not the field rather but in downtown and I thought that is that I'm just I'm surprised I'm surprised that made it in so long after we decided that we hated scarlet one of the biggest guffaws from marianne and i was when they're trying to evacuate and there's just a procession of like really fucked up like injured soldiers and scarlet's like oh i wish they would hurry <laughs> like they're missing limbs and marianne and i were like that's just her in a nutshell isn't it <laughs> like it's just like oh wish she would hurry like yeah oh my god yeah. everybody's in my way i will say too i feel like the moment chris you were talking about how you felt like scarlet would have her redemption arc in the reconstruction era part afterwards and i don't know like she she did say something like when she's having her moment where she's like i no matter what happens i'm never gonna like was it be poor again or be without food or something so just like that was like her goal and i thought <laughs> So you're not really going to be nicer, right? You're just going to be more manipulative to get what you want. So I don't know. That was sort of, I didn't, I was hoping she would be better. And I thought with Melanie and that interaction, she might be, but I, I guess I wasn't so surprised. I just felt bad for her that, that, that she didn't change, that she just kept sort of clinging on to that the rest of her life. For everybody's so reverential towards her too. They're like, can't be mean to Scarlett. She did all this good stuff for us. And it's like, yeah i mean but it wasn't entirely selfless was it <laughs> like yeah she helped melanie with that baby reluctantly that one time and it's yeah they got her in they got her, her in the door she does take people <laughs> into her home but like yeah. it's always like some sort of like hustle though you know what i mean like once once she's yeah. settled in there's like the next thing she's on to yeah 
I wish the tax man had taken her land. Like, give her the best. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I learned from this film why Southerners hate taxes so much. That was uh, <laughs> very well established. I learned something, you know. So I get it now. That's uh, why you hate liberals. Okay, thanks. <laughs> oh man. I uh, I apologize if you have like this as its own question, but I do love uh, Belle Watling as a foil to Scarlet. Mm-hmm. I also think it's very interesting. They have yeah. someone who like, I think she's painted as like a madame or something, right? Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. But she's painted as being kind of like the moral opposite <laughs> to Scarlet, which is cool, actually. I feel like that's also something that wouldn't usually get on film in that area, in that era. So it actually is a bit of a trope. The hooker with the heart of gold is like probably the expression you've heard dates yeah. back to like Westerns of like the thirties, especially okay. kind of showing that like, the I didn't realize profession... it was that old. Yeah, no, I like it. Like, the one that comes to mind is a uh, stagecoach, like where like you have all these mm. great archetypes, but um, in other words, sort of the profession doesn't dictate the, uh, the moral compass, but it is a progressive view and it is surprising still that that would even be a trope in the the 30s and i think she's an amazing especially in this film (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs) but god bless melanie for taking her money nobody else nobody else would be nice to her except for red or guys that wanted something obviously but yeah man i love that interaction actually between melanie and and bell um I think that was probably one of the it just Melanie in general like I mean I know in some ways she could be more assertive with certain things and that might be the only the downside to that character but like I guess the tolerance I think was what Chris was saying before it's just like she is so she'll be friendly to anybody and she'll try to do the nice thing for everybody but I I think with the one part that I thought like the one scene that really stood out to me was actually the one where the image that I've got up on where Scarlett's wearing the red dress that Rhett tells her she needs to wear because she thinks or he thinks that she's going to get outed by the rest of the the group at uh, at Ashley's birthday party uh, for trying to basically th- uh, throw herself at Ashley or for them to that they were supposedly involved that you know the word had gotten around and they'd seen them to our uh, other people had seen both uh, Scarlett and Ashley together and had assumed there was an affair going on there um, and you know and Rhett's just ready because he's so jealous about it he's like I, he was just ready to have Scarlett get you know punished for this and dressed her up and I'm thinking hey this is like Scarlet letter you know and then yeah. also when Melanie comes up and the expression on her face and the words that she uses when she just like guides Scarlet through and just very diplomatically like has her integrated to the group. <laughs> and I'm like, damn, Melanie is awesome. So that her was, scene actually got to me like when she yeah. like, like, that was yeah. probably some of the most genuine like emotion that like I, I feel like carried through and translated well still to like to now you know where it was like this is actually quite touching i was i sort of had mentioned the cinematography because that was something that i did want to talk about a bit more but then we sort of it has integrated into our our discussion already um i guess any other thoughts about the cinematography that might have stood out to you uh whether it's like the matte paintings the you know the the fact that this is a film that's in color and how that would have been like how would that have been different had they not decided to go that route if they tr- tried to be like a lot of the other films in the day and and do black and white and if that would have had any effects or just the sheer scale of it you know like the 
the 900 some extras that you saw for all the wounded war guys and the they use like something like a thousand dummies along with the 900 extras so some guys are out there just like using practical effects to kind of like jury rig it so that the the dummies are moving with them so which i thought was incredible and i i was so fascinated by the long panning shot i didn't even look that closely to see if i could see anything like that so i thought it was all extras so but yeah any uh any other sort of um aspects from the cinematography that really stood out to either of you and uh may i can i can toss it over to you first if you'd like um if it was black and white i don't think she would have been named scarlet <laughs> <laughs> nice. i think uh i think they really like used the like fact that they had color to full advantage especially with that uh, outfit she's in behind you will the the red yeah. dress um and i think that it helped with the nostalgia shots they have of the south and just kind of like showing the scenery and like how green it, the plants are and <laughs> blue the sky is and, and, and stuff like that um so i do think it's a movie that probably wouldn't have been as like popular and groundbreaking if it hadn't been in color um i think that that service the movie quite a bit i didn't love a lot of the like um scene editing personally um if, if we're throwing that in with cinematography um mm -hmm. it just like a lot of things just like seem very abrupt and um there were some like great panning shots like you mentioned with the soldiers but there are others that were just like kind of abrupt and chaotic and didn't really give scenes time to breathe especially when a bunch of like traumatic stuff started happening towards the end and it was just like death after death after death um it just felt like there were, was a huge pacing shift that i didn't like i wonder yeah. if in some respects like and chris you might speak to this better than me um i know that they like it was so the novel itself is like enormous and I think that some of the initial drafts had like, you know, it could have been easily like a six hour long film if they had wanted it to be. So I'm wondering if uh, some of the editing process was just we filmed a lot of stuff and we had to chop it down a lot. And maybe that's where we get some of the weird um, cuts that we see in the film. Uh, so, Chris, I don't know if you if you had read anything about that or knew to speak to that or not. Um, as far as like how they approach the adaptation, no, I, I don't have a lot of insight to offer there, unfortunately. Um, I do know, like, again, kind of typical of the time, like, so, some of that, like, swift resolution, like, you see some pretty stark, like, time jumps. Like, it feels like almost like the opening two and a half hours of this is like a very stretched out version of a short period of time where like the rest of this kind of like narrows into like uh you know I, it's the great analogy that Virginia Woolf used for uh, to the lighthouse where it's like two longer sections connected by this like hallway I don't know if you guys have ever seen that but uh, not to, to go up too far off the rails but that's what it feels <laughs> like a little bit like we get this like long stretch like of like a short period of time and then like time flies for a while and then things kind of come quickly to a head so um probably just a stylistic choice or it really could have just been like fuck we have to wrap it up um <laughs> i don't know how much footage they shot on this probably quite a bit um yeah. like i don't know like where the script would have ended up but um it it does kind of strike me as like you know maybe like more of a stylistic choice at the time where mm -hmm. the resolution wasn't as important as like everything that kind of comes behind so 
let's give you your story beats quickly. Scarlet doesn't love Ashley. She loves Rhett. Red doesn't give a fuck and scene. <laughs> <laughs> and scene. <laughs> and scene. Yeah. Yeah. I gotta give a shout yeah. out to the score. Like the the music yeah. in this movie is brilliant. Like the main theme in particular is like it's legendary and um I think it's used to great effect, um, both in sort of like the opening and and uh like some of those key scenes where it is like Terra and you know, just like this big sweeping uh vista really like that stuff so yeah yeah it's true although man it was i I feel like it was so heavy-handed with some of that like you know the i guess the the glory of what the south used to be and that it would never come again and i just some of the language that that they used (laughs) starting this film out i'm like oh my gosh this is (laughs) that is that's that's a hard one to to go with to start out on but it's yeah. uh it reminds me of a line from succession where a character says uh wow different times better times not for all not for all i also yeah. think it's interesting that this film like is so problematically nostalgic like mm-hmm. on its surface but almost all the characters that I mean, a few of them die, but the other characters end up in like generally much better circumstances financially. Like, yeah. Um, again, we're gonna call that like not that it uh makes it okay, but symptoms of of the time. You got to think like this would have been like so thirty nine. Like would have been like what seventy years like post Civil War. So there would have been people alive presumably like who right. kind of hey, grew up adjacent up, to yeah. that. In fact, like I, people I read a... who grew up in reconstruction for sure yeah, yeah. and like I, I read a quote from hattie mcdaniel that said it was a very easy role because her like i think grandmother or maybe perhaps her mom like worked in a household very similar to this mm-hmm. so she's like i was very familiar with like sort of the dynamics and um not that that's uh necessarily a happy thing but i guess she was easily able to channel some of those like memories and sort of experiences and Mammy is maybe my favorite character in the whole movie. Like anytime <laughs> she's like muttering under her breath and like yep. just like <laughs> giving somebody what for was uh, was definitely a highlight. I think in terms of um, the only other thing for cinematography that I could think of was just the I had read this this fact about how they had uh, when they set up the burning um, uh, for Atlanta that it was where they had used like 20 old movie sets that they basically just doused and lit on fire to, to film. Whoa. Um, and it was actually, was it Selznick? It was the guy's name. So yeah, the producer of the film, he was the one who apparently doused all the old sets in his studio's lot with kerosene before torching it to do for the painted scene of Civil War Atlanta. And that the set from the 1933 King Kong film was actually burned in the blaze. No! So, so if we, oh, yeah, we just, it's yeah, shysty, shysty Hollywood. <laughs> um, which I guess in terms of like thinking about other items that have become issues today versus back then, you want to talk about like difference in pay for actors that it's become like a widely popular, um, not popular, I should say, but like very topical uh, discussion is that, you know, back in the day, Clark Gable made like 120 mil or not mil I'm sorry 120,000 off of that and that um 
Vivian Lee made like 25,000. And she's not surprised, put way more effort into that film than he did. I mean, granted, I mean, yeah, significantly more screen time for sure. Yeah. So just that to kind of put it into perspective on how is yeah both during the filming of and also about the subject matter things were uh not always great for everybody well i think the only other question that i've got left before we can wrap up with any other thoughts i've got two uh which you guys can choose from uh one is either because <laughs> i found myself wondering this question when i watched the end of the film and sort of mirrored from what scarlet's asking because there's a part where she breaks down after Rhett leaves and she's like asking herself like what was it all for and you know where she's and then for her it was the idea of of tara like that's that's what really matters and that's you know what all the whole struggle's been about is keeping hold of her land and that'll always be there for her like her dad used to tell her and and so i'm thinking is that really what this film was about you know and so that (laughs) that to me was would be my one question for you or if you would prefer instead, I would love to hear what you thought was the cringiest part of this film. So either or, feel free or both. Um, and uh, Chris, I'll, I'll toss it over to you first. Oh, damn. I have to pick between those two things. I suppose yep. I could, could try to be like rapid fire. Um, no, I think Pitch Tara is. <laughs> yeah, I think so. My quick response is I think Tara is like this. It's like symbolic a sort of safe place for her where she's sort of able to come back to anytime her life is in the toilet for one reason or the other. So I think mm-hmm. as May said earlier, like they, like she's told herself that like, as long as I have this, like everything's going to be okay. So it's more of a defense mechanism, safety net sort of symbol yeah. for her that represents the good old days, you know, and like that, there's always, you know, we'll always have Tara, I guess, to quote a different movie um, in a different way. Um, the cringiest <laughs> moment is so fucking hard, man. Um, There's too many. I definitely, I definitely picked up on the the subtle KKK stuff. And so perhaps that is like, so the political meeting, I'm assuming is probably in the book what that was supposed to be all about. And I think that's probably the most visceral reaction that I maybe had, just given that like she's got, people that she knows that are like in that camp that like tried to help her and things like that. And the fact that a whole bunch of people are going to suffer violently at the hands of, you know, this mob because of like a couple of people that out of probably desperation, like are trying to steal her horse. Um, I'm sure that's not if I had long enough to think, but like, that's just one that hasn't come up. So I'll go ahead and bring that up as sort of being one that I was just like, Oof, and like, and in the context of the film, the thing that makes it uncomfortable is that I, I'm sure contemporary audiences were probably rooting for that outcome and going like, "Good for them," you know, and those damn Yankees, like, you know, who like are trying to like stop them from t- taking justice, you know, into their hands. Uh, so uh, that'll just be my pick. So. That's a good pick. I think I remember reading, and I could be wrong, but I think I remember reading that the shanty town that they're going against in the book was actually supposed to be like a group of African-Americans and not the white folks that you see depicted in the film. That's uh, so yeah. I would say that probably the KKK influence that was in the book was also in that scene, just conveniently removed for the sake of the Hollywood production. So I agree with you in that. I think it's an excellent choice. How about you, May? 
thoughts on the meaning behind gone with the wind and also the cringiest of the cringy moments of this this whole train wreck uh yeah i mean it's a film that's trying to do way too much so it's hard to say what the meaning is because it's like you have three distinct movies like layered in here um stay away from scarlet (laughs) o'hare like i think that's (laughs) (laughs) your money's gonna be gone with the wind if you get near uh that that seems like the main moral uh i agree exactly with what exactly uh chris said about tara being just kind of like um a uh nod to the quote-unquote good old days more than anything else um and as for cringiest moment uh if we're going like pure pure cringe not just like bad but just cringe i gotta Mm. say it's when she shows up to like once again throw herself at Ashley as in his like office wearing just like I, what I imagine is probably like the sluttiest dress that you could find in that era <laughs> <laughs> like she went to town on that outfit <laughs> looked great but it was it was a lot for showing up at your like I guess technically he worked under her like employee's office um and yeah so that whole moment was just extremely extremely cringe um for me <laughs> give it up already nice. you've had plenty of tries it's not, right? a, it's not gonna happen <laughs> she's like but but look at my dress <laughs> <laughs> what about in this dress <laughs> oh man awesome and you well, good sir like, i gotta go for years. my cringiest is dark um it's so it would truthfully was a toss up between the implied rape, but also the the part where he is drunk and he puts his hands around her head and he come and he whispers about, you see these hands, you know, and I'm just like, the only reason that she is not physically abused in this film is because this is gone with the wind as a movie. But I was like, there is so much that I feel like would have happened that was not shown in this film that would have made more sense for that character in that moment. And that was what sort of terrified me was that I'm like, this is supposed to be a love story. And this is not, this is clearly not what I came in here for. And watching this like spousal abuse depicted on screen and being like, not necessarily normalizing it or saying it was okay, but just sort of like, I don't know, just depicting it like that. I just thought, Oh man, that just really, after having been told that this was like a you know an epic romance and just watching this and i'm like this is not this is not okay like and that was i was really legitimately terrified for her character in that moment because i mean she had fallen down a flight of stairs and i'm like clearly they're not shying away from violence to some degree for characters and and he has shown that he can be violent in kicking down a door and throwing things and you know losing his temper when he's intoxicated and so i was just like what is gonna happen you know, and and that to me was oh man, that I got really cringed out by that. So I feel like that was more terrifying than cringe. Not, eh, not, okay. not, not, not to argue against your pick, but <laughs> yeah, that's valid. My definition of the word is is it's perfectly fine to question the definition of my question. <laughs> please reword your question, please, sir. Well, I, uh, I so, so I interpret cringe as like intense secondhand embarrassment. Oh, okay. 
Yeah. Then... I just thought anything that made me cringe, that's how I interpreted it. it was like, <laughs> yeah. That's why I was like, I'm having a real hard time here. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, if we're going with that and just in terms of like poor <laughs> poor uh, decision for social uh, occasions, um, oh, that's a hard one. Probably even the red dress. I mean, yeah. To show up to after going into it knowing that that was probably what you were that you were going to get punished for um, giving off the impression you were having an affair with the guy whose birthday party you're going to and basically just dressing up following Rhett's argument about you should wear this and dressing up in that I'm that was like, (laughs) yep, good and all the looks that all the ladies had as soon as she walked in I was just like, I'm ready. All right, here we go, you know, and and melanie diffused it so that's probably i'd have to go with that uh as to oh yeah thank you uh as to what i think the film is really about i mean i guess i don't know i i went a little bit more like on the the weird tangential thought no surprise there of like just looking at it is like the argument between what's more important is it strength or is it heart because they talked about how melanie was or at least Rhett makes some offhand comment about melanie always when she's about to die about how she's like she never really had a lot of strength but she had a lot of heart and i'm like i mean maybe but i don't know she was like one of the strongest characters not to like lose her cool and act inappropriately that were shown I'm in the film and I just think it's interesting how a lot of it a lot of the people that say that they like Scarlett O'Hara it's because of her strength it's because she doesn't give up and quit you know she gets knocked down and she's like screw it Uh, this tomorrow's another day I'm gonna go out there and I'm gonna get what I want I may not like what I want and it may not be really what I want but I'm gonna get what I think I want and you know so it's like there's that strength of she's not gonna just lay down and die when her house gets burned down during the civil war she's not just gonna lay down and you know, lose everything, you know, like lose herself by, you know, whether her husband's <laughs> plural have passed away. <laughs> She's always motivated to do something. And so I guess in some respect, there is strength of character in that regard. Um, but also just the importance of like, even just having a moment to have like the heart to like help other people, even if you've been a crappy person, there's still moments where Rhett says something that is technically true and is nice or there's moments like where he cares about his kid arguably he does say that he cares about his kid because it's the one thing that he can what own or control like own completely yeah and i'm like yeah yeah there's the guy and the money again you know kind of a thing but you know there's he does care about his kid he does want the best for his child um and so there's just there's moments where characters do they do show compassion to some degree um and i think that that's important too so it's sort of like even in the face of all this terrible tragedy that happened during the civil war and and afterwards and people just trying to get by um that you still have a lot of heart and strength to try and get through it um even if some of the hardship that you experience is your own making because you just can't figure yourself out (laughs) And you have a lot of weird feelings that you have to process. So, but yeah, I think that's 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 where I'm coming away from on that. I mean, granted, 
the indigenous population before settlers came in probably would have said they liked the land too and we can see where that turned out so i mean maybe maybe don't take your dad's word on that scarlet but you know it's cool i'd love to briefly share the one moment that genuinely like made me giggle and, and like i enjoyed um when the guys are coming back from that terrible uh quote unquote meeting um and the excuse is given that oh no they were at bell watlings the doctor's wife's reaction is not anger (laughs) but to be like oh did she really have all these mirrors and gold like (laughs) 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 i love her (laughs) yep all right, Sarah, then I will turn it back over to you. And thank you guys for the uh, thank you for joining me on this exciting adventure through one of Hollywood's classic films. There's a cultural yeah. education. For you know, sure. I, it, I, I think it's a good pick <laughs> because I, to have this conversation, you know, it's it, it's interesting. That's this one of the beauties about the medium is how as society evolves, right, your perceptions of things are going to change, right? And societal attitudes towards it's going to change. Like, I'm glad this movie exists and is available to be talked about, but uh, sure ain't the same as it was uh, when it came out, I'm sure, as far as attitudes towards it. And that's probably a good thing. You are. Well, I have prepared a little game for you all uh, called Keyword Countdown. Uh, more specifically, a uh, round of keyword countdown, which is uh, a game created by Mr. Gavin Murphy of RKG. They are kind enough to let us play this on occasion on the podcast. Their latest project is a playthrough of all the Resident Evil 7 DLC. It's called Back with the Bakers, and it's done in a grindhouse style, like with like trailers and like the, the artwork and stuff. It's just fabulous. And as always, it made me laugh my ass off for, for a good week as I watched through the episode. So you should check that out. But um, I have prepared five films for you up to 10 clues a piece going to uh, read these one at a time. These are pulled straight from IMDb's plot keywords. You are going to try to guess the, the film based on the clues. The earlier you guess it, the more points you get. Any questions? I'm ready. It's been a while since we did this. All righty. There is a theme uh, to these films. Uh, The sooner you discover that, the better your chances at getting uh, subsequent (laughs) ones. So film number one, clue number one. And for time's sake, I'll probably like not rapid fire through these, but I'll, I'll move a little briskly. So your first clue is art studio, art studio. The Princess Diaries. Not a bad guess, but not the one. All right. Clue number two, infidelity. Oh, infidelity. I have no idea if this is correct because I actually haven't seen it yet, but Marriage Story? Not a bad guess. I have not seen that either, uh, but it's not the one. I am so blanking right now. This is bad. <laughs> okay, they they get less obscure as as you know as we go on. You clue number three: family relationships. <laughs> really narrows it down. Clue oh. number four: catchy song. Catchy. Song. <laughs> All right. Clue number. Five all star cast, all star cast. Dirty dancing. Not a bad guess, but nope. 
clue number six first love first love i feel like i'm gonna kick myself as soon as you say what the answer is <laughs> all right clue number seven language learning language learning learning her? a language is, is what i would say uh is a bit kind of rephrase that uh it's not her i took that her? to mean like language networks yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right i feel like someone might get it on this one clue number eight british prime minister oh is this love actually it is indeed mm. love i describe you christmas movies i don't know we all have to uh, see okay it's christmas movies <laughs> three points for mr rotondi Ooh. well done fresh set of clues oh so the remaining clues uh, as we like to do aging rock star and christmas <laughs> nice new set of clues new film film number two. First clue chicago illinois <laughs> chicago <laughs> <laughs> not a bad guess given the clue home alone Blues brothers <laughs> It is Home Alone with a oh, 10 points. <laughs> it is May coming in with 10 points. Noise. Wow. Awesome. Your subsequent clues would have been impersonating a police officer, breaking the fourth wall, <laughs> TV dinner, alarm clock, videotape, child's point of view, airport, home invasion, booby trap. So nice job nice. getting it on Chicago, Illinois. 10 points for May. Will's got three. All right. New film, new set of clues. Clue number one, childhood memory. Childhood memory. Okay. Don't mind the cat. Mm -hmm. That's not a clue, by the way. That's just my cat in the frame. <laughs> clue number two, 1940s. 1940s. It's a wonderful life. Not a bad guess, but that's not it. It's not the one. Clue number three, cult film. Cult film. As in it's like cult classic, not a film about cults. Not to <laughs> confuse. <clears throat> Clue number four, bully. Is this, this is not a Christmas story, is it? Is that your guess? It's going to be my guess. It is a Christmas story. <laughs> nice. So that is one, two, three, out, four, five, six, seven. Seven points for Will. I gotta oh, know what the other clues were. Yes, yeah. the other clues were sticking out one's tongue, brother-brother relationship, mouth washed with soap, small town, secret decoder ring, and BB gun. Yeah. Nice. Uh, all right. I, I believe that, film, that is 10, always... 10 for oh, all right I'm now. Sorry. So we are tied 10 10 for all so that that is uh got two more films to go we'll we'll see it's all to play for for everybody all right let's go rotondi first clue <laughs> animated title sequence <laughs> i'm just gonna throw stuff out there elf <laughs> nope uh clue number two chainsaw I love the change in expression that both of you just had. <laughs> the Santa Claus? It's not the one. Not a bad guess. Clue number three. Road Rage. Fargo is not a Christmas movie, is it? <laughs> no, <God. laughs> I don't even think you can make like, the diehard argument there. 
Uh, clue number four, panties. All right. Clue number five, squirrel. Is this one of the like hundreds of Hallmark movies? If so, I don't think that's fair. <laughs> no, definitely not. Wouldn't do that to you. Clue number six, SWAT team. <laughs> Chainsaw, SWAT team, squirrel, animated title. I'm really blanking here. <laughs> <laughs> there's somewhere out there, there's a listener shouting it out, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, clue number seven, staple gun. Staple gun. Home Alone 2? It's a good guess, but it's not the one. Three. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Clue number eight. Next door neighbor. I feel like All I right. definitely should know this. Yeah, I feel like I'm going to hate myself. When we... <laughs> <laughs> Clue number nine. Christmas bonus. Christmas bonus. I hope you haven't seen this. Interesting. This next one will definitely give it away. Clue number 10, final clue, National Lampoon Film Series. Oh, uh, Christmas no. Vacation? Yeah. <laughs> it's Christmas Vacation. Oh my gosh, I haven't seen that in forever, man. Oh my oh, god. That's an, an annual watch for, for us. Uh, I've never seen it. It's very stupid. I need to, clearly. <laughs> it's very, very stupid, but yeah, it's, it's worth the watch. So that puts Will up by one point. So it is still <laughs> Yeah! Anybody's game here. <laughs> So I'm just glad I, I made it on the board. So that you're doing is, well. Yeah. 10 points for I'm sorry, 11 points for Will and 10 points for May. All right. We've gotten more Final of these film. than I have. So it's all right, Finch. You're gonna it's close okay. it you, now. This is you it. got the uh the 10 pointer though. That's big. Final film, first clue. Magic. Harry Potter. Not a bad guess, but nope. <laughs> the Santa Claus. <laughs> <laughs> Not a bad guess, but no. <laughs> Second clue is friendship. Friendship. All right. Clue number three. Charlie Brown shock. Christmas special. <laughs> Not a bad guess, but it is not that. Clue number three is hot chocolate. Are you sure it's not the Santa Claus? Are you sure I'm it's sure. not Elf? Is this Elf now? <laughs> it's not. <laughs> Good guesses, though. <laughs> All right. Clue number four is motion capture. Oh, wait. Um. Oh, God. What's the day with the little reindeer, the little Rudolph one? Uh. Oh, man. I don't remember it. I don't know the name. <laughs> is it Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer? <laughs> it's not. <laughs> Is it the little animated one with the with the abominable snowman and Rudolph, whatever that's called? No, but no, it's no. not that one. Okay, no. I want it to be. I know. So like not stop be. motion, but motion capture. Just so you're oh. not going down the. Whoops! Nightmare Before Christmas. That's stop. No, motion. you just clarified. Mo yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I didn't want you like going down like the wrong. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm interceding a little bit there. Uh, okay. Clue number five is waiter. Later. I haven't seen this movie in a while. I feel like I should should watch it. It's, it's, I remember it being very good. Uh, clue number six: snowing. <laughs> right, we're getting into the obvious territory here now. Clue number seven: Christmas gift. 
Was bed knobs and broomsticks like Christmas no. adjacent? It's a Wonderful no. Life. I'm just throwing that out there again. Okay. That's a that's a good one. That uh, a clue that I would almost pick for this would have worked for that one as well. Um, clue number eight, based on a children's book. Can you recap the clues too? Yeah. So so far we have magic, friendship, hot chocolate, motion capture, waiter, snowing, Christmas gift. Most recent is based on a children's book. All right. Penultimate clue, North Pole. The Polar <laughs> Express. Yeah. Yes. And with that, uh, <laughs> that May comes and wins it. Good job. By like one point, I think, right? <laughs> By one point. Yeah. Uh, well done. <laughs> 12 to awesome. 11. Good game. May taking the, the lead there. Good job. Final clue, Good. famous locomotive would have been. So. Yeah. Oh, that was awesome. a tough one. Yeah. <laughs> well done. The animation in that is so uncanny. Like, I hated mm. it as a kid. It's because they did the performance capture stuff where they like scanned in their faces and yeah, all that good stuff. But, so I think yeah. I like blocked it from my mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I remember thinking that was brilliant back in the day, but I, I haven't seen it in a long, long time. So uh, maybe I'll throw that in. And this is the perfect uh, transition or segue because. For the rest of the month, we are each going to nominate a Christmas film and watch it and discuss it on the podcast, however we wish. We're going to keep it nice and light and chill. We'll resume our regular drawing after the new year. Mr. Rotani won a uh, a lottery, so to speak, and he'll be going first. So, Will Rotondi, what is the Christmas film you've nominated? And just in like 30 seconds or less, why? Oh, absolutely. Yes, I'm happy to be uh, to have volunteered as tribute uh, for this one. And I will have to say that the film I choose for Christmas is Die Hard because <laughs> yes, because it is uh, if, if it's not the ultimate Christmas film, uh, it is definitely the ultimate Christmas adjacent film. And I love I just love it. It's it's so entertaining. Uh, it's definitely a yearly thing for me. And it's just not, I mean, it's, I don't know, for a lot of people, it's not the go-to thing. And I, I respect that, you know, you, we, there's for anybody who loves like the uh, wonderful life, it's a wonderful life or Polar Express, you know, Harry Potter, even, you know, that's perfectly fine. Uh, but for me, it's, it's John McClane. So <laughs> that's yes, my go-to there's debate, whether or not it even is a Christmas film. I think that it is. Um, that's I, the official stance of this podcast now, if we're treating it as a Christmas film. <laughs> yeah, yep. that's right. Uh, this be a first time, May, or have you, have you been blessed with uh, seeing Die Hard? Before? It'll be a first entire watch. I've definitely seen oh, okay. clips, but yes. Yeah. Awesome. Fantastic. Well, that is going to be our next film. So if you're following along, watching along, go ahead and fire up Die Hard to get into the season spirit. <laughs> and uh, next week's episode, we'll talk about it in any way that Mr. Rotondi wishes. Um, should be a good time. And then subsequent episodes, uh, May and I uh, will put forth our nominations and same thing until the, the end of the year. So you'll get an episode um, for each week throughout the remainder of the year. I suspect we may, we'll announce it, like take a, a small hiatus, like right after the new year. So we can kind of reset, but um, who knows? But uh, until next week, we love you. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Bye guys.